Welcome to episode 231 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. My guests today are Maria Vajinska and Oliver Jane from Goat Howl Theatre. But first, as you know, there are many theaters and theater companies that have had to shut down their productions as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of these companies are in desperate need of help to ensure that they can keep their doors open once the current crisis is over, and many are turning to crowdfunding in order to do that. In the coming weeks, I'm going to highlight some companies and theaters that need your help. This week, I want to highlight the Red Sandcastle Theater. The Red Sandcastle is a storefront theatre in Leslieville in Toronto and is one of my favourite venues. I presented several productions there and a few of my own plays had their birth there and it has been the home of so many of some of my favourite theatrical moments. The Red Sandcastle is currently running a GoFundMe campaign to keep their doors open and I will link to that campaign in the show notes. If you've been listening to Stageworthy for a while, or maybe you're a first-time listener and you're listening through a link that you got on the website or through social media, did you know that you can subscribe so that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy? You can do that by searching for Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or you know wherever you get your podcasts, and clicking on the handy subscribe button so that every week the new episode of Stageworthy will be delivered right to you. And if you subscribe, let me know that you're a new subscriber. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And my website is philrickaby.com. And you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And the website where you can find the archive of all 231 episodes is at stageworthypodcast.com. As I mentioned, my guests this week are Maria Vajinska and Oliver Jane. They stopped by to talk about their production of Configurations of a Divine Bitch, which was scheduled to open on March 27th at Theatre Pass Marais. Unfortunately, like all productions in Toronto and beyond, this production has been cancelled due to the pandemic. But you know, we had a great conversation and I am happy to present it to you now. Just so that everybody can hear both of the voices, if you could just say your name. Yep. So, Maria Vajinska, Oliver Jane. All right. So, which of you would like to tell me about configurations of a divine bitch? Uh, probably we'll tag team it. I'm sure. <laughs> um, do you want to give the pitch we just did today? Oh God, what right. was the pitch that we give today? Have you have you developed the pitch over time? <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I mean, it like, started yeah. in a very in a territory of being really about like <laughs> goddesses and like affected by nineteen seventies feminist performance art, and then we're like, okay, let's depart a little bit. It's a little less <clears throat> goddessy, but that's the 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 hangover of divine. Oh my God, that, yeah, that was like. <laughs> Three years ago. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that was but, the, like, <clears throat> a first idea that uh, there was a lot of talk of periods yeah. in the beginning. Periods. And, and goddesses. <laughs> but then also, yeah, being very frustrated with uh, feminist, like, goddess feminist movements of, of the 70s. 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the 80s. <clears throat> but anyway, where, well. it's, where, it's, 
it's um, evolved to now is it's really about all the things that are sticky, messy, beautiful about being in a body that has a uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's things that are difficult to talk about or can be difficult to talk about. So uh, periods and messy pregnancies and menopause and uh, masturbation and consent. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it treats it in both a reverent way and an irreverent way. Okay. So uh, we're very influenced by uh, the Lecoq School. So like Buffon work. Mm-hmm. So people that are familiar with like Adam Lazarus's work. There's some links. So the Buffon kind of treats this stuff in a more irreverent way. So it's looking at how the, these kinds of bodies are constantly being monitored in the social sphere mm-hmm. and then commenting on that monitoring, I guess. And then it also looks at all those things from the reverent form to be like, how are these things that are so unique to these bodies possible to be revered? Mm-hmm. And how are they also mysteries? Mm-hmm. And I always say my mystery spiel. So oh, I'm yes, going to do my mystery my spiel. Please do the mystery yeah. spiel. So what is a mystery? A mystery is not something that we do not understand. It is something that so implicates the being so as to inspire awe. So, for example, we understand the processes in which a baby is born. Mm -hmm. We understand all those things. We understand sperm. We understand all those things. But when it actually happens, it's so implicating of your being that you are in awe that this can happen. Mm -hmm. And so all these... Um, moments in the life of, of a body that has a uterus are kind of like transformative moments that are very visceral mm-hmm. and involve the body. And so the play oscillates between let's talk about these things, but then let's also feel about them and kind of have like a visceral hmm. experience to understand what those transformations are. I think it's exciting. Um, we have one cis male in our ensemble who's our musical director. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he's told us, he's a young man. He started on the he's show when he was like 19. He's like, it's just so good to hear about all this stuff I, I'm not allowed to talk about. That's, like, a, that's a weird yeah. that, that I'm not allowed to talk about. Yeah. That's the statement that's like a little bit weird. Uh. But <clears throat> I think it's, the, it's that, that, that the female body has been policed so much yeah. that even women don't feel they can talk about it. And men, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like the public sphere, the neutral body is mm-hmm. the male body. And so both like the public sphere and also the working sphere, it's all the things that happen. And I won't say female body, but bodies that have uteruses, because not all those people identify as female. Mm-hmm. But those experiences that happen are just so not welcome in like the mm-hmm. productive capitalist sphere. They're, yeah. not, they're all the things that are disruptive yeah. to kind of what is considered the neutral body. <sighs> it's interesting, though, because I, yeah. it's like... When we first began working on this piece, I feel like we were surrounded by people, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like the impression at the time, which was only like three or so years ago, um, or maybe a little bit more, my time, my understanding of time is always a bit all over the place, um, but the conversation, like, people were starting to try to have, like, young people were like, I want to talk about this stuff on social media, I want to talk about this stuff. Uh, with my friends and I felt like I was noticing for myself that those conversations were beginning to happen Mm -hmm. but they were happening in this way where like it still felt like a taboo thing yeah and correct me if I'm wrong but sometimes I feel like now now that we've been working on the show more I'm like oh I keep seeing art about this stuff I keep seeing people talking about this in a much more 
a less taboo attitude towards talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still this like really juicy thing that now that the conversation about gender, not not just uh, the um, <coughs> uh, oh my god binary understanding mm-hmm. of gender, now that we've like layered this other aspect to it because of people like myself um, who do not uh, identify as female but were assigned as female at birth, there's like another layer that's been added which makes having this conversation mm-hmm. or the conversations that we are wanting to have in the show about menopause, birth, consent, all of these things, yeah. that much more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that that um, you feel like the conversation has been happening more openly. And I... I sort of wonder because you know I, I operate in a different sphere than 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 you are right now, but also there's that idea that once you start concentrating on something and thinking about it a lot, then it pops up yeah, so much right. more and you notice it more. Like if you if you start driving like a blue Volkswagen <laughs> yeah. and you think I love my blue Volkswagen, suddenly you're going to yeah. see blue Volkswagens everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where I'm just not shocked. And so I, mm-hmm. Oliver and I were um, co-directors of the previous iteration, which went to the United States, and now Oliver is performing in the show. Now I'm directing. And I sit outside and I go, is this shocking? Or like, because I hear it all the time now. Yeah. Mm. Like, I'm kind of like, yeah. yeah. I have the same question. <laughs> anyway. What do, do, you, do you recall what the audience reaction was like yeah. when, when you yeah. took it to the I, States? I mean, we had, we had such an amazing reaction from, from the people who came to see the show in Ohio. We actually had, like, a father who saw the show. I think he saw our dress rehearsal, and he was like, I must bring my teenage daughters to see the show. And then he did. Mm. And the young women were talking to some of the cast, I believe, after the show, and were saying, this should be our sex set. Like, not our sex set, but our, like, like, this should be part of our understanding of gender and sexuality in our body. Because we want this in our school. Because it's interesting, because, like, you know, like in school, you can only really talk about it from like a biomedical, like mm-hmm. clinical perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like our show treats it from like all these different angles, and yeah, so well, that right. was exciting. But isn't it isn't it kind of sad? Like you said, sex ed, but it shouldn't be sex ed, isn't it? Kind yeah, of I'm sad sorry. that like yeah, yeah. no, but like that's how we treat puberty. No, yeah, right. Yes. We talk about it not about like all right, your body's going through some changes, and we we lump yep. that in with like. With with sexuality and sex yeah. and consent and all of these important things, and it's almost like let's embarrass them about the fact their bodies are changing, and then we're going to throw a couple of other things at them, and then we're never going to talk about it again because the teacher is too embarrassed. Well, this is exactly one of the things that we were exploring. So one of the numbers we have in the show is this pop song number, very Britney Spears style, and it's called "Don't Talk About It." Your period is a personal problem, and it kind of <laughs> well, no, yeah, well, yeah, and it layers these two ideas because on the one hand. They're, so the, the ensemble is playing these young uh, people, young adults that are experiencing their periods for the first time. And what they know is they shouldn't talk about it. But what they can do is they can dance in a very sexy way. And how is that okay that socially we sexualize young women, but they can't talk about what's actually going on in their bodies? Like, yeah. that's just so wild. Yeah. And so, anyway. But we do it in a very funny way. Like. Yeah. <laughs> But in the, on the yeah. other side, not only do we do we do that, but we also police their clothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. The clothing of young women. Yeah. Uh, for the boys. Yes. Don't dress like that. You'll just dis- you'll distract the boys. And it's like, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting too because we find ways to touch. Like we don't really necessarily address men mm-hmm. in our show, except with one character who is this lovely, lovable grandfather <laughs> character. 
Um, but they're just so bewildered by everything that's happening around him. There's a way in which that we're situating ourselves as, yeah, trying to understand our bodies through these constraints that have Mm -hmm. been set up by, like, what, what our, how our, like, boys are out of control, so, and girls are over-sexualized, and that makes the boys out of control, but then also we infantilize, sorry, infantilize little girls and then protect them from evil boys. And like, there's this whole confusing... I, sometimes I wonder if it like creates itself a uh, like, way of understanding gender, like um, binary gender yeah. that then is like half of... Yeah, half of what creates a lot of the things we are trying to talk yeah. about <clears throat> on our show but are struggling yeah. to... And we also do that thing where we say girls mature faster, yes. oh, which God. allows us allows us emotional to emotional labor. Yes. Emotional labor. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So that so that you know, don't worry, boys, do whatever. The women will take care of everything because they mature faster. But then the irony is, but let's let's protect the little girls from sexuality yes. because yeah. they're only supposed to think about ponies <clears throat> and princesses. They don't masturbate when they're five years old. Mm-hmm. That's not something yeah. that happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No. So, I've sort of got a sense of, of all the I'm things. That, that there's a lot that goes into this show, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But I'm curious about what was the genesis of the creation of this show? Oh, my gosh. How what far made you back want, do you want to go? Let's go as far back as we oh need Lord. to. Oh. How far back do we go? Well, I mean, we can we go start back? with the barn and then go further back if needed. <clears throat> okay, let's start. No, because no. I think it has to start. No, it goes back to us deciding to. Yeah, it goes back to why I decided we're gonna, to We're going to tell here. a fantasy story. Okay, okay. So this would be like the. I like Um So the year is unknown because your time is funny. But Oliver and I met when we were. Well, I was eighteen. I think you were also eighteen. You were eighteen, maybe nineteen. I thought you were like yeah. I thought I was twenty and you were twenty. No, I was twenty-one. Okay, we gotta get we gotta get to it. Okay, so we met in London. Oh no, I was twenty. You were nineteen. Yeah, that's. I think that's okay. So we met in London in a Shakespeare in a Shakespeare intensive at Lambda at Lambda doing this very like classical theater and then. Both of us saw this, like, really postmodern, strange, director didn't believe in character version of um, Merchant of Venice. Yeah, Merchant of Venice. Everyone hated it, but we We loved loved it. Like, we were like, like, what is this weird show? Like, Like, the only thing I remember was the hands. There was, like, these random hands that came out in the middle of the show, and I didn't understand, but I loved it. Or they were also conceptual, and then... And then Oliver and I had this like picnic oh. in a field of trees. No, no, we oh. were in a circle, in a circle of, trees, of trees, like a grove. It was very witchy, <laughs> and we went, "Yes, there's a special connection here." And for the first time in my life, I cried when we left because I never cried. I was like, "I don't care leaving people. Who cares?" <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, no. But this is the I funny think part the same of the story. thing happened to me. I just don't yeah. remember. Anyway, I cry all the time. I'm sorry. But then, <laughs> so Oliver's from Philly. And then well, I'm no, I am but, yeah, but was but it yes? So Oliver goes off to the United States. I go off and do my own thing. We really didn't keep in touch. Like maybe a few little bits of we send a few, there was a few letters, a few letters, exchange. a few very poetic letters. Uh, <laughs> for serious, I found them recently. The <laughs> and then I sent Oliver in 2016. A message on Facebook with an article about tantric sex, oddly enough. No, no, no. Yes, yes, No, it started first. Hold on. No, no. It started first because 
a person who was performing in the first show I ever made when I finished um, the first half of grad school uh, was a Lecoq grad who was in your class. Yes. But she didn't go on to do the second year. Yeah. And because of Facebook, I was like, holy crap, Maria finished the Lecoq, went to the Lecoq school and graduated. I am just, I just finished a Lecoq program in Philadelphia. So we had concurrently done the same training without knowing about it. I had sent this article about this tantric sex thing. I don't know when that happened. You might find this interesting. I don't know Wait, why. Yes, I, don't I did. I said that too. But anyway, we'll, we'll leave that section out. And then Oliver's like, can I come hang out in Toronto for three days? I'm like, yeah. And so then you came, and then we had like three days of very wooey-wooey time. Yeah, being like, oh, we love the same things. We like the same kind of theater. And oh my God, you love Buffon, but it also made you crazy. Yes. Amazing. And so then that's really when it was So born. then I had this, no, so then I had this moment yes. where I was like, cool. I'm not doing anything this summer. I'm going to come hang out in Toronto for a month. Uh, and then I, like, created the self-curated residency where, like, <clears throat> I went on, I went and worked in a barn on another piece I was working on in Philly that eventually never happened because it fell through with my collaborator. Um, and then I, like, did a little bit of woofing. And then I found myself in Toronto for, like, I think it was, like, a m- month or a month and a, a month and change. Mm-hmm. And we, you had, like, set up some, you were like, there's this performance opportunity for us to perform in this cabaret. Let's yeah. make a thing. And we so made, we made Oliver and Jane make a baby, which is where both of us were high femme, doing high femme things, baking, and then at the end of the baking, a baby comes out of the oven, and we're very happy. It was very silly. Yeah. <laughs> it was very silly. And so right. that was the beginning of this show. They were like, all that has the themes we wanted. And then, well, then blah, we, blah, blah, we were blah. having all these like intense conversations yeah. about spirituality and how it relates to the body and how it relates to the bodies that we have and and I think they were like then there was one night mm-hmm. I oh there was a night where I went to Toronto Island to go hang out on the beach because I'm obsessed with the beach on Toronto Island. I really like Harlan's Point. It's a really weird space. Hanlon's. Hanlon, sorry. I'm sorry. That's a Whatever. Right. The weird beach that people go to. Um, and I was leaving the island, and I had my bike that day. Uh, so I biked over to the pier. And I, it wasn't a full moon, but the moon was pretty close to full. And I remember just standing at the edge of the dock and looking at the moon and being like, Okay, we made this show, and I don't want to live in Philly anymore. I love Philly, but I'm ready to leave. I'm going to move to Toronto. I'm just going to do it. And then I, like, biked back home, and I think it was, like, a few days later, we went to get pho. Yes. And we were just, like, sitting, eating pho together, and we I think you looked at me, and you were like, so you're moving here, right? And we're going to start a company. And I was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so then, like, little baby grants happened. We took a bunch of artists to a farm up in Mono in a barn, and we were making... My first week when I moved here. Yeah. I got off the airplane, didn't even have my stuff here, and we went to a barn, barn. in Marna, Mono, Mono to work on this. two weeks of work. Mostly the things that are retained from the barn are the weird, mystery, mysterious objects. So there's mystery objects in the show. 
they're amazing. And the spirit of the Buffon, but the Buffon arrived mm. later because yeah, they took some time. But um, from that, we had the kind of core of the ensemble, and since then we've had multiple collaborators because people's schedule changes, blah, blah, blah. But we made a completed piece that we brought to Ohio, and it was for a, for a festival that was all about experimental theater, so it was like a test. And our, our experiment was like, can we do something that's like really kind of like lowbrow, like Buffon, like kind of social political like commentary and then do this like high aesthetic movement thing so it's like mystere based and can they exist in the same world and the audience said yes it can because people <laughs> laughed and they cried and I'm mm. like good you should laugh and you yeah. should cry yeah it's pretty um, and so we just filled it out a little bit more for this iteration to kind of hit more things that were missing and yeah, yeah I'm very excited so, you wanted the long story. No, 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 no. Long stories are great. <laughs> long stories are great. That's the bonus to being a, to doing a podcast. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to cut you off. Oh, Talk as really? long as you want. <laughs> Conversation goes past an hour. People can pause and come back to it later. Right, right. <clears throat> so, um, thing I want to talk... I w- which thing do I want to tackle first? Did So, you saw this weird Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> Was Shakespeare not... Like, were you not resonating with Shakespeare until then? Or was there something no. about the weirdness that just sort of, like... No, I think... <sighs> okay. Oh, <laughs> talk is... about that one. That's the hard one. Yeah. Um, no, I think both of us were really moved by Shakespeare. <clears throat> yeah. Because we were doing Shakespeare and Jacobean and, like... For good. sure. I don't know about you, but I'm still moved by Shakespeare. Although, I do have some politics. A lot yeah. of, like, personal <clears throat> politics around making... And like repeating the work of old dead white men, but like I still love. There's so many aspects of Shakespeare that's so wonderful. Same, and, and, and I think it's a false it's, dichotomy to say yeah, that no, like, no, you no. can make like physical theater or you can make Shakespeare. No, no, yeah, yeah. Like, so and, silly. In and some then, ways, Shakespeare is very physical. Absolutely. Yes. Well, this is what I wanted to. What I was uh, just thinking of, which is that like there, I think the mythology right is that Shakespeare wrote the work. There's a lot of. There's a lot of speculation that actually that it was a, de- a devising process and it was incredibly physical. Mm. And so, um, in so many ways, like I think m- what my my appreciation for Shakespeare is, if that's true, then I love Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> because basically that's what we have training in, which yeah. is collaborating and be, like using your body as the instrument for um, communicating some big story. Yeah. I wonder, because, you know, I mean, I, I definitely understand the, the, the politics of not wanting to tell the stories of, like, of another old white man, you know, or a dead white man. Um, there is something subversive in my mind about being able to use Shakespeare to decolonize yes. a little bit. Oh, like, to, yes. to, to take all of this stuff, turn it on its head in different ways. Because I'm a little tired of seeing the same, the same thing. I think that was it. I mean, it was a long time since we've seen that show, but part of what was exciting was, oh gosh, I wish I could remember the director, but he yeah, didn't believe in character, and at first I was like, what the heck do you mean? But you <laughs> can kind of see the actor, and in some ways this is not something you normally want, but kind of commenting on what was happening mm. and being really alive in it, yeah. especially because it's such an anti-Semitic play generally. Mm. Like, I remember there was this one moment where Shylock, like, did this Oh, Christ he does thing. a Christ thing. I still and remember And you could this. see the actor being like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, and also, I think that was one of the things that everyone hated. I know, and we're we like, were like, mm. I don't know, this is making me think about this play in a different way. Yeah. And granted, like, we're 19 and 20, and mm-hmm. we're from North America, yeah, yeah. so like, yeah. But the other thing Ooh. that was exciting about that show, and particularly about Shakespeare, was just that, um... You could see the director was obsessed with composition, which is maybe what I'm obsessed with. Yeah, now. and me as well. Um, just because, like, the moment where, oh gosh, the lovers, when they're looking at the stars, it's just little bits of glass coming mm. down from the sky, mm. and just the, like, strange both beauty and, like, intense visceral, oh, feeling of that. I'm like, ah, I want to use objects to do that. Mm. And you can see that in our show. Like, there's some weird objects, and objects are used in an interesting way. And it's very much based on composition. Yeah. And that's... I love it. I'm like, "Mm, yes. No one... Like, you can't explain why that choice works, but you're like, yes. Had you had... uh, I'm just curious about, in terms of, of, of your thoughts around theater creation, had you considered something being that presentational that 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 um non <clears throat> I don't even know what the word is I'm having difficulty finding the word mm. for one of I don't want to say weird again but like <laughs> but like the theater could be non-linear could be weird could be physical uh had you had that sense before then or did that just sort of like spark something that hadn't been there before mm. I'm trying to remember you know, probably. That's probably what it was. <laughs> Using that For was me, at least. Yeah, I, I think, I, like, I know. it's the first time, really, that show is when I'm like, theater does a different thing than film and television. <clears throat> like, it's just <clears throat> very different and has different possibilities. I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't really, I mean. I'm sorry yeah, to, I know that we're going back. We're going back a long way. Like, yeah. I think also, yeah, I don't remember a lot of what 20-year-old um, Oliver's <laughs> thought about theater because I feel like for me grad school was where I really no no actually no for me it was interning at the here Arts center in New York City which is what actually changed everything for Mm. me which I believe was the summer before I went to Lambda Mm. because I think it it was my sophomore year again timelines I'm not great with them um So it for me it wasn't that moment because my mm. moment had was like being exposed to Taylor Mac and being exposed to um, oh my god what is the name uh, oh my god I forgot the name of the theater company but it's run by Brooke O'Hara who's a teacher at the NYU or she used to be a teacher in as part of the NYU Experimental Wing um, but she made this piece with a bunch of people that was a very old traditional. Um, Bunraku play that I believe they turned into uh, they did it with it wasn't puppets they did it as uh, performers and they like mixed it in with like a boxing match and punk like punk aesthetic and punk music I can't remember I think I might be like mixing up shows in my head but I do remember being like whoa theater doesn't have to be um, Patrick Stewart reciting Macbeth beautifully, which is great. Yes. I loved that <clears throat> when I was growing up. But um, I was like, you can just like roll around on the floor and like growl and t- t- speak in poetry, and it makes sense in a way that isn't necessarily logical, but is like visceral. Mm. And as an audience member, you feel it more than logically understand it. I was like, what is this? So by the time I ended up 
going yeah I think it was yes it was it was my sophomore year it was this experience of like oh we're doing all this very traditional Shakespeare I'm enjoying it because I'm an actor and I'm supposed to learn how to do this I'm really bad at Shakespeare why am I here Mm. I'm really bad at this I'm still very bad at Shakespeare you can ask anyone who's ever worked on any Shakespeare with me um and it wasn't until I think we saw that show that I was like, and here are people who are doing something so weird with Shakespeare that suddenly I like Shakespeare mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they probably had a devising process if we were Oh, okay. I'm sure. You don't believe in character. Come on. You mm-hmm. have to have a devising <laughs> yeah, process. Yeah, right? Did, did... I actually, I think they also, they had everybody in the cast memorized so many different parts. That's what he does Hamlet. It's the same director, but they do Hamlet that way. Oh, because I remember they did a little bit of, like, training with us Mm. that was based on their training. Mm. And it was, like, I guess, yes, So it's the same director... I have to. I know. That, I wish I remember he, his name. They, they, it was a regular thing where all the actors would know all the roles of Hamlet and then draw it from a hat and then play it <laughs> for the different shows. Right. Which is crazy town. That's crazy town. But, yeah. But, like, actually... That's cool. so exciting. Yeah, yeah. Like, that sounds yeah. so exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the process of creating this show, it, it was devised, was it? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, so what does what does that look like in the... What does the creation of this show look like in terms of, like, when you get into the, into the rehearsal hall to start working? Sure. It, well, maybe I'll talk a little bit training and ensemble stuff. Um, so one of the things that was really grounding for us, I think. And I ended up doing my master's all about the pedagogy of all this stuff. But um, we, we, we did kind of ensemble-based training to kind of get people in the same language for Lecoq-based work and Grotowski. So the Grotowski was really helpful for having, like, a sensitivity to space and sensitivity to internal impulse, external impulse, and the composition that would create the mystery stuff. And then the Lecoq was just to help with devising and major, minor, and game, and jeu, and all those kind of things. And so we did these kind of trainings, and we really committed to that. We do that every rehearsal, at least an hour, maybe longer. We opened it to other artists to come just for the training, because we found it was helpful for our ensemble to work together, but then to constantly have new people yeah. also training. Mm. Um, and then from there, uh, we, we would, the two of us would plan a kind of structure for what the prompts would be, for that rehearsal and for the buffet I think the thing that was the most useful was he started with ranting yes just a lot of joyful so much ranting ranting. and that really drew out the material that were like it was ranting both of and we used the kind of structure of like the angel devils of these subjects so one would rant about what's so freaking awesome about bleeding every month and the other would be like this is the worst have you ever had the period shits? Like, just, like, totally awful. And then we started to get, like, the colors that could arrive. And and then from there, it depends. It's interesting because I think every actor that comes into this ensemble has a completely different background. I mean, they're all physical, but, like, one of our actors is used to be an Olympic gymnast, like, worked mm. for Cirque du Soleil, like, stilt walker, like, very compositional in movement. And so she can create these beautiful movement pieces and an amazing writer. Like she'll write these ditties and just like, and then we have another divisor who's just like excellent at Buffon and like we can create the most beautiful space and then she will find her Buffon 
to break that it's very funny um yeah so i think everyone had their own kind of way through it but ranting yeah, like, for the buffon yeah. and then i did a program called the laboratory of movement in france which is concurrent with the lecoq program and that's all about how to use scenic objects to suggest movement in space. So we used the LEM process for the mystère objects that would suggest movement and composition. We did a lot of transposition of paintings. Yeah, it was all very technical. Yeah, it like, and also I uh, another tool that we make use of very early in our processes is something that I learned at um, the Pig Iron School, which is Open Canvas, which is. A very nebulous way to just have a prompt and be like, cool, whenever people feel moved, get on stage and do something. Um, which sounds simple, but it's actually quite difficult to train. But mm. we did so much of it that like by the time like you arrive at this place with that with that particular exercise where people are just not thinking anymore and proposing such beautiful things and creating they're helping us um, transpose themes so that they become a theatrical thing mm. instead of just like an idea that we've like written a story about. Um, yeah, so yeah, we make use of all of these different improvisational tools and structures. And, and then a gift of technology, and this is something you've introduced me to. We record. Everything. Oh, everything. Mm -hmm. everything. Not, every video is documented. It's on a hard, hard drive. So every single improvisation, every single little, mm. like, it's all recorded on camera. Like, yeah. And then we return to I them. I mean, to give credit, <laughs> yeah. I learned that from my teachers yeah. that at the, the Pig Iron Theater Company. They record everything. And now I, I can't believe anyone devises without that. Because you. You can, we can go back and be like, we see something in version three, I guess this is what we're calling it, and we go... The thing that should happen after this is the thing that happened in the barn yep. the second day. Mm. It's a weird movement thing that this person came up with, mm. but it's the right color. And it's like, well, how could you possibly remember? That was three years ago, but we can do yeah. it up. And we've been doing crazy. that. And, it, and the other thing, too, is that writing can come out of that because people sometimes can get in a good zone and they'll riff. And then you're like, I will transcribe and then we'll clean it up. And then it's good writing. Yeah. Really good writing. Oh, yes. So then I guess another. Yeah, we do a lot of writing prompts as mm -hmm. a way to enter into things. I know in the beginning we were like, cool. Everybody just like spend 15 minutes writing the lyrics to a pop song about menstruation. That's Go. Don't talk about it arrived. Yeah. And like we I think we ended up picking like as an ensemble we're all just like, cool, we really like this. what this person started doing, what mm. this person started doing. How about the two of you go off together and continue writing? Mm. And then it becomes, like, and then it gets handed off to different people. Like and, a musical director, yeah, and the musical director develops some things, and then, well, now we have a choreographer. I know, it's so <laughs> dreamy. And then hand it to the choreographer, and then they give some feedback. And what's, then... what's interesting about this particular iteration that is a new process that I think the, uh, yeah, it is new. A new process we've been embarking on is actually sitting down and writing first mm, mm. and then bringing the writing to the ensemble and being like, cool, this is just a draft. Memorize it, but then destroy it mm. and have fun, improvise, and then we're going to go back and completely rewrite this scene based on all of the work that we've just mm. done in the room mm. together. Which I think wouldn't be possible off the top, but some of the people in this version have been with the show since its inception, so they have, like, a sense of, like, cool, I, I can take it in this direction, and that's the show. Like, I can feel that that's the show, so I will go that way, and then they do beautiful things. Yeah, yeah. 
And even if they go in the wrong way, it's sometimes good too. Technology, just to, to go to the to the video aspect, yeah. I was working on a, a, a we years ago. I was working on a, on a show when we were devising. We were coming up. We decided we wanted to make a, a silent film play, and so we started from like yeah. nothing, um, and over four years created a show. And then, but at the time that we were doing this, this is like it's ten years ago now. We didn't quite have all of the video options that we have now. And I can only think that if we were starting today, we would be doing the same thing because it's so easy to video everything mm -hmm. now because mm -hmm. the tools that we needed then were not like, they were a little more bulky than what we have now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have a tiny little camera, like the quality is a bit dinky, Oh, it's not great. But it captures But I think I bought that camera for like $200, like three years ago. <laughs> That's great. It's a very helpful tool. Yeah. You've, you've had people who've been in the show and, and left and new people have come in. Mm -hmm. How do you catch a new cast member oh up so that they can come in and... Training. And so uh, much yeah, training. Okay. Training. okay. So much training. training. But also... Yeah. Gosh, how do we do it? I mean, we make them watch videos mm -hmm. because we're like... and. We do give scripts, but but less so, because we tend to be like, cool, as an ensemble, we're probably going to destroy the script anyway, <laughs> so, like, we don't want people to, like, think that this is, like, when they get a script, mm -hmm. this is the work that will be happening in the right. room. And um, I don't want people to come into the room, too, and be like, look at me, director, like, tell me where I'm going, I'm like... Yeah, no. we're like we're waiting for you to do something, and then mm -hmm. we're gonna tell you if it's bad or good, and maybe give you some ideas. But propose, yeah. propose. Um, but yes, training, training is a huge training. piece of it. I think there's also, I mean, yeah, it's hard because I, I feel we lucked out in this version because everyone's jumped in really beautifully. It does help when there's a similar, like there's just a hair of a similar pedagogical lineage. Mm -hmm. So we're, one of our new cast members is a Goliath grad and uh, really into the improvisation scene, improv yeah. and sketch comedy. Awesome. Like just jumps right in. And But I will, I, I will say that I think part of it is also us, us as lead artists. If our vision is clear and we articulate it clear enough, and then we help people through training understand that they have permission to contribute their perspective, push their perspective, push their understanding of our of the topic that's incorporated into our vision, then they tend to rise mm. and be like, cool, I am going to subvert the thing that's being worked on right now because I have come to a conclusion that Maybe you guys are missing a thing, and I would like to propose. What's mm. exciting is that almost never happens through talking. It happens oh, yes. through, like, being in it. Yes. Mm. Mm. And, yeah, I think that's something yes. that we we try and maintain the training. Not So I want to use just clarify something, because I don't want to make the point to say that, like, these actors need training. They that's not what don't. I'm saying. No. Like, no, they're, no, no, like, no. super skilled. But I think it's worth mentioning, because I think that can come off as very... Um, hmm, Extra. Um, no, what I mean is we, we look and see where people are at and then we use the kind of pedagogical tools that exist to to give people, yeah, that freedom to be like, 
The permission the to permission, have a voice. To permission to, yeah, permission yeah. to have a voice and to, for example, we have a character called the Breeder, who's a Buffon, who was originated by um, a woman who has French-Canadian background, and she did an amazing job of making this French-Canadian breeder, and the breeder has, like, 30 kids and doesn't get paid and cries and laughs about it. It's very funny. Our new actor, not at all French-Canadian. She told, took it in a completely new direction, and we're like, great. What What is important, I think, is that we start to have a language about how the scenes have an underlying dramaturgical mm-hmm. aim. And so we're like, you just have to hit this, this, and this, and then how you accomplish it is really up to you, and yeah. we have a lot of freedom. And I think a lot of freedom, but then a lot of support. Like the ensemble and the training, there's a feeling when the training goes well that the ensemble will save you if you're flopping. Yeah. And so then people take more risks. And then they, like... I certainly didn't take your your, your yeah. talk of training to me like these people need training. But it's funny people <clears throat> have taken it the wrong oh, way sure. before, and like I'm just like no no no. But it's almost thing. like yeah. when you're working in a particular style. When, yeah. when we were working in the silent film style, when we would create a new show and we would bring in new people, you have to have a way to teach them what are the tools that we're working with here. What mm-hmm. are what's the language mm-hmm. that we're speaking. So that we can all be on the same page when yeah. we actually start to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely don't like to think of it as like teaching. I definitely mm-hmm. think of it as like where, how can we all? It's ensemble building. Yeah, really, that's yeah, yeah. what it is. Yeah. Like, I would do training with people who were, you know, fresh out of a Lecoq program. I'd be like, mm-hmm. I still, you may have all been fresh out of a Lecoq program, but how do these ensemble people who maybe all went to different training programs, mm-hmm. but are all very highly trained people. How do these people, because when the groups are new, how do they connect? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they will connect differently than how they connected to the people they trained with for four years in grad mm-hmm. school. Right, right, right. It's not going to be the same. Yeah, And it's also like one of those things that's like, it's the ineffable thing. Because like I see three of our ensemble members, because Oliver hasn't performed with them before, Good but enough. three of them have performed many times now. And I can see that they pick up the way the person's moving behind them by mm. five feet, and I'm like, it's magic. How's yeah. That? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm so impressed, but yeah. I guess you've worked together now long enough. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. You feel things when yeah. you've been a, a, an actual ensemble for a while. Yeah. 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 And they just like pick up the, each other's vibes and then riff off each other, and it's so mm. subtle and like, yeah, and it's very exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. So. That's how we wrote people in. We just give them the time to be with each other. And and to try and to mm. fail, I think. Mm. Um, before you were at, in at Lambda at studying Lecoq and all of that stuff, what was? I'm you're always curious about people's theater origin stories. Like, what made you want to do this? What was the first show that you saw? What was what first drew you into theater? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. I always find it funny because I went to a international business technology high school and I wanted to be the CEO of a bank and make lots and lots of money. No way. Okay. Yes. No way. This is why I love asking this question. This is why I love asking this question because people don't know that, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, Whoa. do you ever wonder why I know Excel, Whoa. like, the back of my hand? All high school. No, but anyway. I just figured that you're just good at that stuff. <laughs> I learned somewhere. Um, yeah, and then, well, I mean, so uh, we can go even further back, but like, <laughs> Prior to that, I was in that, like, IB stream, which is the International Baccalaureate, like, all those gifted programs, whatever. I was, like, hyper type A people, and I was, like, 
I need to escape, so I'm going to make lots of money for some reason, I guess. And so everyone went to IB, and I was like, I'm going to go to this business school. <laughs> and then I go to the business school, and I see the drama club, and I was like, you guys can express yourselves. <laughs> And that was it. That's what, it was over. Like, wow. grade nine, you know, saw Macbeth. Like, powerful, moving performances by these, like, grade tens. And I'm like, yes, I will do this now forever. <laughs> so so you had not been exposed to theater until then? Nope. No. Not at all. That's really funny, actually. But I, I see, now that you know this about me, you'll see where it crops up, this banker. No, no, I it's already everywhere. know. I'm like, no, no, I can like pinpoint all of those places. I'm, yeah. I'm like, great, because one of us has to be good in that stuff because it's not me. Sorry, um, <laughs> it's just not my strength. Yeah. What, at that point, when you decided that, that 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 was the thing you wanted to do, were there people trying to stop you? Were you like, what? No. What? So my entire like next generation up in my family that lives here they're all chemists or there's a phd in mathematics so that's their kind of world but when i went to my parents i was like oh i'm gonna do theater they're like great because my mother learned or like loved chemistry when she was very young in communist poland like it was occupied poland and so there was no future for chemistry in occupied poland but her parents were like just do it you'll find a way and obviously when they moved to Canada's pharmaceuticals yes there's things to do Mm -hmm. um and so she just kind of looked at me that's my mother's attitude because she lived through like a not great time in Poland she's like you just have to do the thing you're gonna do with some seriousness and just do it and Mm. accept the whatever garbage that comes with it Mm -hmm. but um yeah so no one tried to stop me and sometimes I'm like mom why didn't you stop me gee (laughs) <laughs> but no I guess the question is supportive. could she have stopped you probably actually. oh really yeah okay yeah. Wow. yeah well no <laughs> no have you seen that meme like do you know what meme that is when the, do you know you're, you just did that meme you did the, the, what, do you know like what meme the, I'm talking about the, the Canadians say yes yeah no that's no how and there's like a picture of this woman and it's like it'll say something like like a question is yeah. asked, and then she makes this face, and it says, "Well, yes, no." Oh no, I'm sorry. It says, "No, no, no." She has this face, like, "No, no, no." And then the bottom picture, it goes, "Well, maybe, oh, yes. yes." And it's her being like, "Oh, mm. <laughs> and, I know." Sorry, yeah, yeah, my yeah. parents. No. You just did that, that, and I'm like, amazing. "I see a meme." Sorry, I spend way too much time on social media. Whoa, that's all right. Could anyone have stopped me? No, only I could have stopped me. Wow, wow. <laughs> oh my god, that's. Hilarious. Where did you, how did you decide to go to Lambda to study? Uh, so the thing is, is my high school was very big into Shakespeare. And so that was like my in and it was Juliet in high school and Viola or Viola or whatever. Um, yeah. And so I was into Shakespeare. I also have like the craziest mind for memorization. Like I memorized almost all of the first act of Macbeth before I was even doing theater. Like I just, so cool. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was that nerd. I'd just be like, "Eh, I can say the whole first time. Can we do a version of Macbeth that's kind of like that Gats show? Do you know know Gats? No. Uh, New York City Players? Question mark? I think that's who did it. They read The Great Gatsby from beginning to end. Uh It's like a really, really long show where you leave 
and then you come oh, back yeah. the next day and see their. Oh, is that long? Okay, yeah, and they're yeah, literally yeah. reading Sorry. it while mm. it's the, arriving. No, no. Mm. The actor who's memorized is Scott Shepard, a famous downtown New York theater actor, memorized the entirety of The Great Gatsby and can could at the time. Don't know if he still can recite it. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. But yes. So we must do. A version of Macbeth yeah. where you're just on stage so reciting that, That's the thing about Lambda, though. So, like, Shakespeare Sorry. was the key into theater. And then I went to Sheridan's Performing Arts Prep, which is all musical theater. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and then went to Lambda. How long did you prep. spend at Sheridan? It's just the one year. Okay. So, like, prep. Okay. So they, oh. they give you a little taste of everything and help you, like, workshop your auditions and it's very focused on like having a song and a dance yeah. and a monologue and a lot of those people go into musical theater and I was just like no I don't think that's for me and so that summer I was like oh I should my uncle was living in London at the time I'm like I'm gonna go to Lambda I remember yeah. that I remember mm-hmm. going to your uncle's house yeah do we also see Wally together we did oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah. whoa memory wow. lane wow. Whoa. Oliver what was your uh, theater origin oh, god. story uh, I feel like mine is like I don't know uh, both of my parents were artistic folks who came from uh, less than I don't know less uh, the I, what is the word that I am looking for? Um, my father, my both my parents came from uh, challenging backgrounds, <laughs> and they were both artistic. My mother was sort of aspiring to be an actress and my dad for like five minutes thought about going into photography and so that didn't happen for a lot of reasons but by the time um I came around my parents were very well off my parents owned an insurance brokerage and they had this attitude of like we couldn't be artists so we really don't necessarily want to force our children to be artists, but we would happily encourage them to do so should mm. they have the desire. So I was named after Lady Olivia from a Shakespeare play because my mother was an actress growing um, when she was very young. I also have like an aunt who's an opera singer, and mm. yeah, there's just a lot of art in my family. Um, so I don't know. I just sort of grew up. Being a theater kid, like a really nerdy, like really nerdy, like awkward theater kid who was often like being cast in the ensemble, like I was really shy, I was not very confident in myself, I was terrible at performing most of the time, I just was, yeah, and I like was just this awkward little person, and I am not ashamed to admit that I could say that Cats is the most formative show for me. Uh, My best friend and I, when I was about 10 years old, choreographed the entire show from front to back in her kitchen. Had you seen it yet, or you just knew the soundtrack? Um, No, I think we had watched... I was of the movie era where they filmed... Oh, the the filmed version? version? Okay, yeah. So her and I watched that together first, and we were just like, oh my god. We also watched a lot of Little Rascals because her parents, her mom was really into old school stuff. So, like, her and I would watch the Little Rascals and then, like, Cats. Um, and we 
apparently, I, I remember some of this, but I remember, like, growing up, her and, like, me and her and all the neighborhood kids, because we all lived down the street from each other, would put on shows in her backyard and charge our families 25 cents a ticket. Um, we'd do, like, dance shows. We'd have these, like, really elaborate plays that would be hours long. One of them involved a tree that was in my parents' backyard that was named Charlie, who eventually was chopped down when I was much older. And I remember there being this whole, like, Charlie is gone. <laughs> like, I remember my best friend uh, from childhood, I, we went to the same high school. She ended up being like, I saw Charlie being carted away on a truck. And it was like our childhood was just over. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I grew up just, like, being an awkward theater nerd. <laughs> and then I did, and I, my parents encouraged it, like, um, how I grew up. We didn't really do sports. Like, sports were not a thing. We went to art museums. We went to the opera. Um, we, like, that was how family time was spent. Mm. Also, we would watch movies. Like, My Very Strange Family, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a family movie in my family. I don't see a problem with that. That's, <laughs> I, that I, says more about me than... <clears throat> right? Yeah. I think, actually, my mother brought me and my friends to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show for, like, my... 11th birthday or my 12th <laughs> birthday like something absurd <laughs> uh, um, so yeah so I don't know I guess I just sort of like have always I was always just that kid always awkward still very awkward um, and then I decided to do what you do which is I decided to go to uh, undergrad for theater, which I think I don't really understand the system in Canada because it's different than the United States. Uh, I applied for BFA programs and was just such a bad performer that I didn't get into any BFA programs. Um, but also, I think I didn't really understand why I wanted to be a performer. Mm. And that can really affect uh, who gets, like, why people end up going to BFA mm. programs, I think. But regardless, I ended up going to a BA program and just studying like a straight BA in theater. That's what helped me end up flying over to the UK to do this Lambda Summer Intensive. Because mm. for me, I guess undergrad was me trying to understand why did I, why theater? Why? Mm. Like, why? Why? Did you figure out why? No is an acceptable answer. <laughs> I'm not going to say no, okay. because I, uh, this last year has actually been, for me, I mean, for me, it's been um, trying to understand really what what motivates me just as a human. Mm -hmm. uh, and for sure, I know that perform, not performing, but uh, for sure, I know that there is a reason why I work in the arts, and it definitely is, like, like a like a thing that I will never be able to walk away from. Mm. Um but like being an actor, I could walk away from that in a heartbeat. Like I would happily not be an actor, but I I do enjoy performing. Mm. Um so it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just I for me I just am a really intense human who must under understand why I do everything I do. Mm. Uh which I have always been like that, okay. unfortunately. <laughs>
Um, but yeah, I guess doing a BA somehow helped me, exposed me to so many different um, ways to think about art mm. and performance mm. that I was introduced to the Worcester group. I actually was introduced to their version of the Hamlet, Shakespeare, mm. because they created a piece about, um, a piece, they created Hamlet, but it was a piece about Hamlet, about our cultural relationship to the play mm. Hamlet that they performed. Mm. And it's them performing in front of a very, very famous uh, um, film of Richard, one of the Richard Burton Richard Burton in, like, the 70s, I believe. I'm not sure if, again, time. I don't understand time. Uh, crew did a bunch of Hamlets where he'd um, have them filmed live mm -hmm. and projected into cinemas mm -hmm. around the country. Mm -hmm. So, apparently, this is a very famous thing that happened before we were alive. So, the Worcester group, who I guess were alive at that time, uh, made a piece in response mm -hmm. to that. And that was the thing that made me go, oh, okay. I like all the stuff that I've learned my whole life about Shakespeare, and I like all of this stuff, but I think, actually, I want to be making my own work. I don't think I want to be working with other people. Like, I don't think I want to be working with scripts in my hand. Because <clears throat> um, uh, I think I want... Not that I think... I don't know. I was like, I think I want to be working with people who are taking really big risks hmm. yeah and then yeah and then grad school happened so I went to a I went to a program that's I like to describe as a comb a combination of a Lecoq and whatever the spirit of Philadelphia is <laughs> which is a combination of Flyers fans mm -hmm. Giants fans mm -hmm. A lot of drugs, yes. like psychedelic drugs, and like unapologetic, like I am here and I am gonna tell you what it's like. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. Um and so yeah. So I yeah, that was how I arrived to devising, hmm. I guess. Hmm. Or that's what has shaped a lot of yeah. my, my my thinking about approaching it. Mm -hmm. Um just as we draw to the to the to a close here. Yes. I'm curious about after putting so many years into this piece and um uh being about to present the the latest version, is there something about the piece that um scares you? <laughs> um yeah, I'd say yeah, so. There's a lot. I mean, I worry, well, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, sure. We're scared. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's we're scared about the you know conversations what? around. I it. think there's what something about. about Okay, so we're oscillating between two forms, mm -hmm. the reverent and irreverent, that like if you latch onto one and don't let it go, is that what you think this whole thing is? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like cuz cuz it's a ride. Like it's a whole ride. There's Valleys and da -da -da, hills and valleys, peaks and valleys. That's the word. Yeah, I think latching onto one thing because, I don't know, like you could throw the whole thing away and be like, oh, they're just doing sex jokes or something. You know what I mean? Like trivialize 
the depth of mm. the layers of conversation. Mm. Because that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of sex in the show. Not that there's sex happening, but there's a lot of... And that's what's so frustrating about being in this body is that the second you want to talk about this body, suddenly it's about sex. Right. And yeah. so that makes me nervous. Like, I, I think there's going to be a little calibration that we do in the last week to be like, do we go too far? Mm-hmm. But part of what being feeling empowered in this body is about is being able to talk about sex on your own terms. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the audience will receive that. Does that make sense? Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So that, 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 I mean, I wanted to, like, my initial impulse is like all the sex. I'm worried about mm. all the sex because it's not gratuitous and there's no nudity. Like, yeah. like there, but there's a lot because, yeah. like, that's what this is. If you're in this body, like, you experience that as well. So, yeah. And become sexualized and all this stuff. So, I don't know. I think it's funny because uh, it's easy to dismiss sexual bodies with uteruses mm-hmm. yes yeah for right. sure That's i think favorite. there's also i think there's also fear just generally because a lot of this a lot of what we end up talking about the show is very personal from mm. the people who've made the show mm. so it's not like a fear of like oh what are we saying but it's like a oh i am I'm not saying the words of a character that someone else wrote that I got in the headspace of. It's these words came from me, an experience I have had, and I am, I've devised this work with a bunch of people. So, like, I have to own that I have been part of this process and that this is, like, I am also, I, we are writers and performers. So, we are mm. representing ourselves yeah um and there's just always like we've now with go how we've done this a couple of times and just as a performer inside of those processes you're like there's another layer of vulnerability that just comes up because you're like wow i'm literally standing on stage talking about consent and oh my god this is oh loosely drawn from my personal experience Mm. and i'm standing on stage saying a thing that may or may not be a direct quote from someone I dated three years ago. <laughs> oh, God. Right? Like, it's... Yeah. 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 So it's... That is a scary process to yeah. go through. Yeah. But it's also um, invigorating. I mean, last fear, now that they're flowing out. <laughs> you just mentioned, though, that, you know, there's a layer of um, transposition of personal experience, but... I worry about sometimes because we follow a kind of like prescriptive dramaturgical arc of, you know, men are pregnancy, giving birth, Mm. menopause. We are very conscientious in the show that that is not everybody's experience. And we don't want to be saying this show is everybody's experience. Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we make it clear, but, you know, you always worry. You're like, is someone going to be like, how dare you leave this out? Mm. Like. Well, I think people will have that experience or it'll be like, oh, my God, let's make another show. I mean, my impulse is I'm like, cool, let's make another show and we'll do your experience because I'm so excited about hearing about your experience more than actually sharing my own, to be perfectly frank. I kind of wish that was the reaction that most people have <laughs> to to like seeing something. Like, That's not my experience instead of just like complaining about it on Twitter or whatever and just yeah, like taking that and like making a thing so they show. can. OK, I acknowledge that not every, that this show can't be about everything, but yeah. here's me. 
I mean, it's a mantra I've been saying to myself, just in my personal life, too, when I feel like there isn't space for me in a room or something, I go, one thing isn't everything, mm. and my experience does not negate your experience. Like, mm. just because this particular room or the particular space doesn't have space for me, like, doesn't mean that there isn't. I don't know. So, anyway. Yeah, I know. I, I do think that that conversation is like, whoa, a big, a Huge. big conversation. Um, and for sure... I think that, like, it's a difficult conversation to have because I, and I know, I like, as a company, we actually do have this conversation as to, like, why is it important that we are representing ourselves at this moment as opposed to using our funds and our money to hire someone else mm. to offer their perspective, which we actually do do because <laughs> yeah. we hire ensembles and we're yeah. like, cool, this is your perspective. Um, but I, I think, right, it's about, like, figuring out for at least for goat how like figuring out when our perspective is maybe worthwhile to share mm-hmm. um and then also deciding those moments where we step back especially with this process where we step back and we go cool let's let the other people in the room guide the process because yeah we may run the company but like this isn't i don't know maybe you have a different perspective but i'm like as an artist my dream with this company is to one day stop being the face of the company mm. and really just uh, allow stories to emerge from all sorts of people who maybe don't get as much stage time as someone who looks like me does. Yeah. But uh, those are those are like year down the years when we have sure. the kind of funding to actually yes. do that. Because yes. <laughs> yes. right now it's like great. Oliver's going to perform in this show because we need a person to perform in the show. And yeah. Budgets and blah 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 and all the yeah. things. Yeah. So, yeah. Oliver, Maria, thank you so much. It's been it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.